0: As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up, turn it on to Luke chapter 16. We will be in verses 19 through 31 today. Luke chapter 16, 19 through 31. You know, one of the pressures of our age that we live in is that uh, we're supposed to know it all uh, because we have Google. And so because we have Google, anything that we don't know, we're supposed to be able to learn real quickly. And I find that it absolutely drives us crazy when we don't know something. I mean, you're driving down the road, and you see that there's some new construction coming in along 544, and you're like, what's that going to be? And so you start trying to figure it out. You're Googling. And you're like, are we going to get another chicken place? You know, maybe another mattress store, because we need one of those, don't we? And so you start thinking about all these things. What's it going to be? Because you want to know. And and people get really upset if they don't have every little bit of information. You know what? It it really used to not be that way. I know that for some of you all, you can't imagine this, but there used to be a world before the Internet. Yes. In fact, it really does not go back that far. Stacy and I have been married 20 years, which, I mean, that's a long time to be married, but it's really not that that long of a period of time. And so I go back 20 years when we were engaged and we were planning our honeymoon. We were going to go to Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Big spender, I know. Uh, Hey, we stopped by Wendy's on the way. Anybody ever been to Eureka Springs? Yeah, so, uh, do what now? That's a good motorcycle ride, that's right, and you can get car sick too if you take those roads as well. So so we were going to go to Eureka Springs, and we were trying to figure out where we wanted to stay, and so here's what we had to do. We had to go down to uh, Barnes & Noble, Barnes & Noble Bookstore, and get a book that had all the different places you could stay in Arkansas there, and so then we, we looked through them, and they had little descriptions, and they had an address and a phone number, and the ones that looked okay, I would call, and actually i to talk to a person, and I'd call, and they would send me, they would mail me a pamphlet, okay? And so then once we got these pamphlets, Stacy and I looked through these pamphlets, and we made the decision on where we were going to stay based upon the pamphlets. And so we, we didn't have online booking, uh, we didn't get to see pictures of where we were going to stay. I mean, it was archaic, oh, the horror, you know? But that's just how... We lived back in the pre-internet day. We didn't have all the information, and so we often just lived uh, without it. And one of the things that I've come to conclude in this internet age is that we do have to be careful. And don't hear me wrongly. I I love technology. I'm actually kind of fond of it. But uh, uh, we have to be careful not to reach a point where we quit listening, particularly where we quit listening to wisdom because we feel like we know it all. We got all the information and if I don't have all the information then I can find it and so I really don't need to listen to wisdom because I I know it all. Well in Luke chapter 16 Jesus tells a story about two men. One of them Heard the message of Jesus and listened. The other thought he had it all together and so he did not listen to the message of Jesus. Now, Jesus tells this story in response to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, those Religious hall monitors, those people that thought they knew it all and had it all together, they saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, yet they would not listen to Jesus, and so he is telling this parable in response to them. It's an interesting parable. It's not one that you really hear preached very often because of some of the subject matters that are dealt with within the parable, yet what we do around here is we preach what's next in the text, so we're going to look at this parable today and walk through it together beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day, but a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate, and he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. In Jesus' day, they were really into what you might call the health and wealth gospel. Basically what they thought is that if God loved you, if God liked you, then you would be healthy and you would be wealthy. And then the contrast to that was that if God didn't like you, then you would be uh, ill or you would be poor. And so they would frequently judge people in this way. If God likes you, then you're healthy and wealthy. If God doesn't like you, then God has some type of curse upon you. And so we have this rich man that we're introduced to. In my mind, I envision him sleeping in this massive bed that has a dollar sign right on top of the headboard, you know. And, uh, and he's living very lavishly. He wears purple clothing. In that era, purple clothing was a sign of royalty. It was very, very expensive to make and very, very rare to see. He did not wear Fruit of the Loom from Walmart. No, this guy had fine linen underwear. And so he had $1,000 linen underpants that he had ordered on eBay from Egypt. And he was decked out in all the finest attire. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day was an absolute culinary masterpiece. He ate like a king. In every way, he is supposed to represent to us success. But he also thought that he had it all figured out. He knew it all. And because of that, he did not listen to God. He did not listen to the message of Christ. About a hundred feet away, just beyond the fancy house, go beyond the fleet of very expensive chariots and the gaudy lion water fountain that someone thought was a good idea, just outside the gate, there was a poor man. In all of Jesus' parables, I believe that he's the only one that was actually named. He was named Lazarus. The Bible says that he was left at the gate. In other words, he, he was a beggar. And so they would take him and leave him at the gate because this road would be traveled by the wealthy and he could beg for enough food to survive the day. He was poor. He was hungry. He probably had some type of physical disability. His clothing was torn and his body was covered with sores. And so you can imagine the scene that would unfold. Every day, the rich man would go out to conduct his business, probably at the city gates, and so he would open the gate to his house to leave, and he would go past Lazarus, and Lazarus would sit there and watch him leave. A part of Lazarus longed for what he had. A part of Lazarus was tempted to covet, and he was hungry, and so Lazarus even longed just for the table scraps that would fall from the rich man's table. In ancient times, the wealthy, they would often show off their wealth at a meal. Rather than using napkins, they would wipe their faces with bread, and then they would throw that bread to the animals. Lazarus just longed to have some of that bread. But Lazarus means he whom God has helped. Lazarus didn't have much in this world, but he had a humble spirit, and he listened to God. He knew that he needed help. He knew that he needed God. And though the rich man wouldn't help Lazarus, God did. The rich man rejected God's message because he didn't need it. Lazarus, on the other hand, embraced it. He repented of his sins, he heard the message of Christ, and he responded to it in faith. He trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior. And so within, his heart was much different. He did not have a heart of stone, he had a soft heart, open to the things of the Lord, and able to hear the message of the Spirit. Well, then came the day. The day when everything changed. If you look in your Bibles in verse 22, the Bible says, One day the poor man died, and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And so this poor man named Lazarus left this world. And when he left this world, there was very likely no fanfare Probably there was no great gathering. The poor in those days would often be taken down to the valley. If you lived in Jerusalem, the name of the valley was called Gehenna. It was a valley that Jesus would often use to describe what hell was like. It was the town garbage dump. There in the valley of Gehenna, they would pour their sewage, they would pour their refuse, they would also... Throw the bodies of the poor who had died into the valley. So day and night, the valley burned. Day and night, you could see the smoke coming up from the valley. If you got anywhere close to it, you could smell the stench of the sewage. And Jesus used this often to describe what it was like to be separated from God. And this poor man's body was probably thrown in a valley like that. His body was destroyed, but his soul was not. The Bible says that he was taken to paradise, to a place that the Hebrews used to call Abraham's side. Now the rich man also died, and because of his prestige, because of his wealth, when the rich man died, everybody noticed. The scriptures say that he was buried And so you can imagine the expensive tomb that Christ was buried in that someone lent to Christ. He only needed it for a few days, and so he was given a borrowed tomb. But this man probably had his own tomb, and he was buried in this tomb, and his body was probably anointed with... Essential oils, they had them back then, and his body was, you know, preserved so that people could come. You proud of me there, Trish? I got that essential oil plug in. His body was preserved with oils, and people came, and they, they, had, they had grieving, and, and, and people probably mourned his death for days. But look what happened to his soul. Verse 23, And being in torment in Hades, he looked up, And he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus by his side. So that's already a little bit unusual because you have Father Abraham, the great patriarch of the Old Testament, with this poor beggar Lazarus by his side. And so the man looks up from Hades and he sees these two and he calls out, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Hades is a Greek word, it's often translated uh, hell. In fact, it could be taken as synonymous with hell. Uh, Hades, though, is usually referring to the, uh, the place of torment, if you will, before the second coming of Christ. And hell often reserved for what some might call the lake of fire. Hades is used 11 times in the New Testament. Its Old Testament Hebrew counterpart is the word sheol, which is used 61 times in the Bible. Now, notice how Jesus describes it in the parable. This is not Dante. This is not Lash. This is how Jesus described it. He described the man there as being in torment. He was in agony. He described their flames and there was dryness. And so from the flames, the rich man sees Abraham and Lazarus and he calls out in mercy. Now, in life... The rich man would not even give Lazarus his table scraps. In eternity, he asked for Lazarus just to dip his finger in water and come touch his tongue to give him some measure of relief. Well, the parable continues in verse 25. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Now when they were alive, there was also a chasm Between the two men. One was wealthy. The other poor. One was well fed. The other hungry. One appears to have had great health. The other was crippled. One was probably handsome. The other covered with sores and homely. One was well loved. And his life celebrated. The other was rejected and forgotten. In their lives, they had both social and economic chasms that separated them. But there was one great thing that distinguished them. One listened to Jesus. The other felt like he knew it all. One turned from his sin. The other denied his sin. And so one experienced salvation, the other was spiritually lost. And so the parable unfolds that after death, the two men were still separated by a chasm, a spiritual chasm, not temporary, made of earthly circumstances, but an eternal chasm of life and death, heaven and hell, joy and suffering. Verse 27, he says, Father, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. So here we find the rich man beginning to accept his fate. And so he turns the attention from his own plight to his loved ones. He has five brothers, and so now he asks Abraham, would you please send poor Lazarus to Warn my brothers. Maybe at some time in their lives, Lazarus had warned him, but he did not listen. But now the rich man's like, if you would just send Lazarus to warn my brothers, maybe if his five brothers saw Lazarus had come back from the dead, because that gets your attention, doesn't it? Okay, Maybe if they see that Lazarus has come back from the dead, then they'll listen And Abraham replies, I've given them the scriptures. I've revealed myself. They have Moses. They have the prophets to point them to God. And yet, they won't listen. And now catch the irony here, and it helps you understand a lot of what Christ was getting at in the parable. He says, they're not even going to listen If someone dies right before them and then comes back from the dead. He's talking to the Pharisees who knew the Old Testament law, knew all about Moses, but couldn't see that all of that was pointing to Jesus. He's talking to this crowd that thought they had it all figured out, and here is Jesus sharing with them the message of the kingdom, doing miracles right in front of them. The God that they said that they worshipped was living right in front of them and they wouldn't listen. And Jesus essentially says, you know what, I could die and rise again and they're still not going to listen. Because their hearts are cold, they've tuned me out, and they won't hear. What's the point of the story? Well, to the humble, to those who have turned from sin, to those who will listen, to those who have faith in Christ, there is a message that our sufferings and difficulties here on earth are temporary. Don't ever lose sight of hope. There is evil. There is injustice. There is wrong in this world. But those are temporary. Romans describes the creation like a woman giving birth, groaning in labor pains. That the creation is bound to the temporary. The creation finds itself imperfect because it has been fractured by sin. Yet all of this is temporary. Because the God that loves you and the God that loves me has given us Christ so that we might have eternal life with Him. And a part of the gospel that is not often talked about is the fact that one day Christ will come again and all things will be made new and the creation of God will find its full restoration in Christ. And so you need to realize that the troubles that you face today are temporary. But God's love for you is eternal. So let me ask you, when you walked in the doors today, what were you struggling with? When you and your spouse have had conversations throughout the week, what's been the topic? What's the conflict? What's the problem? What is it that woke you up last night where you couldn't go back to sleep? Know this, as a Christian, it's temporary. It's temporary. The depths of life's goodness will not be experienced fully here on earth. I wish you laughter. I wish you joy. I pray that in your homes, that there is deep, deep love. I pray that you enjoy your life. And that you are greatly filled. I pray that you eat well. Last night, I had date night. And I had some barbecue. And it was good. I mean, it was a spiritual experience. I felt like I was at church. I ate well. But we should always remember that the fullness of our hope is found beyond this temporary world groaning in the bondage of sin. There is hope beyond. Now, I also want to ask you from this parable, what is it that God is trying to tell you? As you hear the Word this morning, as you read the Bible on your own, as you pray, as the Holy Spirit talks to you within your heart, what is it That God is trying to tell you. Where is He growing you? Where is He challenging you? You know what? God loves you too much to just let you stay the same. God is always pressing in. God is always getting close. God is always stretching us. Are you listening? Are you listening? I was talking to Dan Ha. Uh, Dan Ha is pastor of Hope Community Church. Dan is a church planter. I suppose I should explain that a church planter is not somebody that goes to Lowe's and buys a really, really nice plant for the church, okay? Uh, you know, we say, we got a new church plant. Well, where is it? I don't see it. Well, it's in Garland. You mean we got a church plant we can't even see it because it's in Garland? <laughs> you know, a church planter is someone who starts a new church. And so one of the things that existing churches do is we try to have daughter churches. And so Dan Haw is one of our church planters. And he was telling me that a couple years ago, the way that this all began is that God began stirring his heart for his community. He began looking at the people that live around him, and he began realizing that there needed to be a a church that was geared towards the Vietnamese community there in Garland. And so God began challenging him and stretching him, and he began praying about this and he was kind of scared to talk to his wife Mihon about it, but yet God was also working in her heart, and then eventually they began talking together, and they they discovered that God had been leading both of them to to this ministry, and now there is a new church that is meeting and is beginning to take root, and we call it Hope Community Church, and I praise God that uh, recently. They, they baptized several new believers in Christ at Hope Community Church. Let's give the Lord a hand for that. That's, that's just a testimony of one, one family that began listening to God and saying, Okay, God, what is it that you would have me to do? Because I don't want to walk past the Lazarus at the gate. Every day. Every day, God gives you opportunities to join Him in what He's doing. Think about that. The Creator of the universe, our Father, the One whose name is completely holy, every day calls you and me to join Him in His work. Life is more then collecting a check, paying the bills, and trying to have some fun. But there is eternal work to be done here in the temporal world, and every day God calls us to have opportunity to join Him in His work, and yet sometimes I'm afraid we just don't listen because we're too busy. Or maybe we think we know it all, and so we don't hear, and we don't see, and we miss it. And then we wonder why we feel hollow inside, Because we're not really alive spiritually at our core. And we're not joining our Creator in what He created us to be all about. There is more than just the temporary life. There's the spiritual life as well. Now some in the room, if we were to be really honest, you're like the rich man. And I want you to realize that success is not measured by the stuff you collect. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. Nothing wrong with doing well in your career. But success is not measured by the stuff that you collect, and success is not measured in earthly prestige. Eventually, that all goes away. Don't miss the eternal that's right in front of you. Don't miss that son or daughter that needs your attention. Don't forget that senior parent that needs that phone call and that encouragement. Don't get so busy that you miss the people right outside of your gate. And please, don't miss the core, the core of this entire parable, the message of the one who rose from the dead. Hear this. God loves you. You know what? God knows you, and still loves you. That's saying something, okay? God loves you, and motivated by His love, God sent His Son. You say, well, why did He send His Son? Because there's a spiritual chasm that exists between us and God. It's that chasm of sin. We turn to our own way and try to live life as if we are God, and so we find ourselves sinners separated from our God. And so we try to bridge that chasm in some ways. A lot of times we do good works. So we say, okay, I know that I'm not God, I, so I'll, I'll come to church, I'll, uh, I'll give to the offering, I'll have KLTY as one of my presets on my car, uh, I'll, I'll talk about God and country, i 'll do a back the blue thing on a bumper sticker on the back of the car i 'll uh, try to invest in the community i 'll try to i 'll try to be a good guy all that stuff 's good all that stuff 's good but none of that stuff can bridge the chasm between us and god because there 's still this problem of i 've sinned and i can 't be good enough to overcome my sin so here's the here's the story of the gospel here here's what God did for you God sent his son to do for you and to do for me what we could not do for ourselves he lives a life that I can't live my life is always going to fall short my life I'm going to try but I'm always going to find myself falling short why because I have a sinful nature that leads me to sin but Christ overcomes that sinful nature and he lives a sinless life now you know the story He's rejected, he's betrayed, he's tortured, and he's crucified. Now from a secular standpoint, people look at the death of Christ as it was a good teacher, a moralist who died as an example for what he truly believed in. But as Christians, we believe that the death of Christ is what we call an atonement. That Christ died on the cross for our sins. He died in our place. That Christ absorbed the wrath of God intended for sin into himself, and he took that wrath to the grave. He experienced, he tasted death in all ways. And yet because he was sinless and because he is divine, death could not contain him. And so he's the one. He's the one that overcomes death. He rises again. Now here's one of the things that's very unique about the message of Christ. Christ doesn't just call you to believe things about him. He doesn't say, okay, I've done this, now here's my rules, you behave better. At the heart of Christ's message is faith. He calls you and he calls me to believe in him. Rather than saying, okay, now I I see the example, now I have the rule book, so now I'll try harder and I'll do it myself. Christ says, no, it's not about you doing it yourself, it's about you receiving an undeserved grace from me that you receive whenever you turn from sin and turn to me in faith. So the call of Christ is to believe. To place your faith in Him and trust Him as Savior and Lord. And those who listen to that call and obey. Those who listen to the call and obey experience salvation in Him. Please don't get so caught up in your life that you refuse to listen to the message of Christ. Trust in Him. Place your faith in Him. Place your life in Him. Christ is your Savior and Lord, and He loves you. And He created you to live a life for God's glory. Listen to Him. Place your trust in Him, and He can save you. Remember one day. One day it's too late. So trust Him today. Place your faith in Him today. Would you be so kind as to bow your head? Musicians are going to come. I can't help but think that in this group of folks, there may be somebody that, as I was talking, God really began to stir your heart. And you really, you receive the message from Scripture today. And this is the day that you need to trust in Christ as your own Savior and Lord. And so I would invite you right where you are, just pray quietly and call out to God. Say, Lash, I don't know what to say. Just say, God, I'm a sinner. And I ask you to save me. Today I'm listening to the message of Jesus. And I'm placing my faith in Him. This morning right here, I'm trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I'm not trusting in myself or my goodness or my ability. I'm trusting in You, Lord. And I want this to be my moment, my moment of salvation, and I pray that You might save me and change me from the inside so that my life can be a part of what You're doing here. Father, I mark this moment as my moment of salvation. If this is your day, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I would like to know. I want to be a pastor to you, and I want to pray for you. And Plus, I think it just marks the moment that this, this really happened. So if this is your moment of salvation, would you just look up at me and let me make eye contact with you? I'd just like to make eye contact with you. If this is your moment of salvation, would you just look up at me and let me make eye contact with you? I praise God for what He's doing in hearts this morning. People's lives have been changed in the service this morning. And as I look out over the room, I realize that a lot of you know God and you walk with God. But are you listening? Or have you gotten so caught up in the busyness of life and so caught up in on yourself that you're missing Lazarus? You're missing that opportunity to be a part of what God wants your life to be all about. Don't get so busy that you can't hear the voice of God. Father, I thank you so much for this dear church, and I pray, I pray that we might not be just all about ourselves, but may we be about you and about what you're doing, and I thank you, Father, for what you're calling us to be a part of, and I pray that we might truly listen, and that we'll also obey. Thank you, Lord, for your deep, deep goodness, for your undeserved grace. May we live in it, and may we extend it to others as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we worship. Amen.